today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got plenty of KU football talk today, whether it's us, whether it's Press conference audio, Jalen Daniels, Andy Kotelnicki, Brian Borland. We'll get to all that today. And then coming up at about 345, Landry Bertine, who is the sideline analyst for the TCU radio team, is going to help us preview the TCU side of things. Ray Bouchard, legendary KU volleyball coach, going to join us coming up here at about 425. We've got a KU defensive notebook, Florida Man Mad Libs. So another fun show for you today. The wait is over, Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook is here. And the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Actually, right now I saw uh, for today they have like a 100% boost on any MLB bet you want to make. So do you want to take the Royals plus one and a half? Uh, I got to be honest, Eric. I started... <laughs> <laughs> betting on the Royals like two weeks ago. Oh no, I, I, they they haven't won a single time that I've. Oh been. no, so they maybe won a single time. The Guardians. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I think my best bet is just to not do anything. Okay, well uh, maybe we'll stick with our KU niche then. Uh, what do you think about this? KU's over under for their team points is thirty and a half. I mean, if if you're telling me KU is going to win the game, yeah, they, they have, have to, to score over, more than that, probably, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I think I would take that. Yeah, yeah. And we'll I mean, get into this in here in a second. If you think KU's going to win. Yep. Well, let's get into that in just a moment here. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10-plus leg required for 100 percent boost opt-in required parlay and wagering restrictions apply eligibility in terms of draftkings.com slash football terms going back to that idea of taking the over under on the 30 and a half you have to believe in the KU offense especially coming off a game yes. in which they didn't give you maybe as much to believe this week as in weeks past when they just looked unstoppable so I guess what do we make of the offense now is the pivotal question I think that it's a very general question that has probably a pretty specific answer because if you really thought this was going to be, you know, a top 5 offense in the country the entire season, then last week probably was a, you know, huge disappointment for you. But if you thought that this offense was really good, but maybe there was going to be a little bit of a reversion coming. There could be a couple down games against better defenses. Maybe it'd still be a top 25 offense in the country. 
then there would be a game like that. And I think that's part of it, too, trying to figure out why that game happened. Is it a sign of more things to come? Is it a sign that you've been figured out a little bit and there's more of a book out on what you are? Was it just a bad game? Was it a lack of aggressiveness? Was it um, just a bad matchup in terms of what schematically Iowa State does? Is, Is Iowa State's defense just that good? I think there's a lot of things that go into this. So I'll start here. If we're looking at it as just a bad game, I think you can make a good argument that that was the case. Yes, I think the KU offense is fine. And you just went on this long rant of all these questions mm-hmm. and all that, blah, blah, blah. My response, they're fine. <laughs> no, but actually, but, but actually, yes. I, I think um, when you look at the Iowa State game, yeah, Iowa State's defense, we knew they were really good going into it. We knew they had a scheme that KU had not really seen yet this season. And, and also, Iowa State's M.O. as a defense, not just against KU, but in general, has been that they make good adjustments at half. They're really, really good second-half defense, and that proved to be the case against KU. I mean, KU's offense had some success in the first half. They obviously scored two touchdowns, and they, they, they were able to move the ball a little bit. In the second half, they couldn't do anything, right? Nothing. And, you know, maybe that's just a sign that they got out outmaneuvered in terms of making adjustments in the second half against Iowa State's defense, but at the end of the day, there were still opportunities for KU's offense to score that they couldn't take advantage of, and they they made some self-inflicted wounds as well. That that throw to Quentin Skinner that Jalen Daniels missed has been brought up a lot this week uh, because it probably would have ended the game if if that if that's a touchdown. So I, I think it was I think it was just a bad game. I think it was a combination of of maybe a bad game and also Iowa State's defense. Because I, I do think I don't know that KU's offense is going to be a top five offense in the country. Like that's an extremely, extremely high bar. But they could certainly be a top three offense in the Big Twelve. They could certainly be a top twenty five or top forty defense in the country. That's that to me is is achievable for this offense because we've seen what they can do. We know what they can do. And yes, the rest of their schedule, they're going to be playing some tougher defenses, but. I don't think this is just a complete 180 in terms of okay, well, yeah, the offense is going to struggle now the rest of the year. I, I think, I think, I think they're fine. I think yeah. they'll be all right. I think Jalen Daniels. Uh, actually, we'll hear from his audio here, but Jalen Daniels, the way he kind of came into that press conference today, Derek, and I don't know if you got the same feeling that I did. It was like KU lost the game. Oh yeah, how he came in and like his mannerism and everything. Like it was completely yes. different. And and I just think that speaks to how much. He puts on himself and how how critical he is of himself, which he'll, he'll talk about that in the when we get to the audio. But but and that to me says okay, here's this is a guy that that wants to play at a high level and wants wants to perform at his best. And I think more often than not, he is going to the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, he talks about it in the press conference again. We'll get to that here in a little bit um, about that he's his like biggest. A, critic. It was like a funeral when well, he yeah. came in. Yeah, I mean, he's he's <laughs> like one of the most explosive personalities, like in a good way. Um, yes. like lights that's, up a room. That's why it was so shocking. When exactly. He came in today. And he came in and and he was a little like down. You could tell he was like, man, I I didn't have a good game. Now I got to answer some of these questions. And and he took it on the chin and everything. And and I again, just every time we speak with him, he's so impressive. And you can see why guys would really look up to him in the locker room and in the huddle and everything like that. But you're right. I do think for the the great ones, they do kind of operate that way. And, like, it's funny because when the Chiefs – I hesitate to say this because there is a, a part of, you know, the game when the Chiefs do struggle offensively. It's like, oh, the other team figured them out, right? 
that does happen a little bit in media. But I think for the most part now, like when the Chiefs game against the Colts, right, there was a little bit of talk of, including that we had about like, and eh, the offensive line doesn't look good, and that was not a good game for the offense. But at no point after that Chiefs-Colts game where the Chiefs offense wasn't great were we sitting there going, this offense is ruined, everybody's figured it out, they're <laughs> never going to have a good game again. No, we know that they have Patrick Mahomes in a good offense, and look what they did against the best defense in the NFL, or one of them, in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday night. They put up over 40 points, right? So I think for so long, because KU football, we haven't been even close to that mindset of, well, they're so good at this that we should expect to bounce back. You almost just expect, oh, well, this went bad, so it'll continue to go bad. Yeah, you know what I mean? Opposite. It's only they're so bad at this <laughs> that we should expect them to continue to be bad. Yeah, exactly. And and so I, I think you have to refocus your mind there and understand that, again, like bad games happen to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense in the NFL. So they're going to happen to you in college as well. I mean, look at, like, you know, Bryce Young in Alabama. They put up, what, 20 points against Texas? Like, that was probably a bad game for them. So, yes, it definitely was. Um, I, I would say that there's a good chance this was just kind of a bad game against a good defense that schematically challenges you and you didn't totally know what to expect. And again, like you said, if he hits the pass to Quentin Skinner, like, now it's a different game. Now they have 21 points. If KU scores 21 points in that game, or if KU, let's say they hit the 50-yard field goal and get that touchdown, if KU puts up 24 points and they win 24-11, to this isn't even a conversation. You know what I mean? So Yeah, well, um, and also, you know, if, if Iowa State ends up being a top-three defense in the league, then you can go back and look at this game and say, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. they're a good defense. Yeah. Uh, the next part of this to me is, you know, trying to figure out what we make of the offense now, the lack of aggressiveness. And I think you can kind of pin this back in with the quote-unquote bad game for KU because um, I think for Kansas when they started 4-0 through the first four games, they were always the aggressor. They were going for it on a lot of fourth downs. And when I say being the aggressor, it's not just being aggressive in terms of your fourth down calls. It's being aggressive with all your play calls, most part, for, you know, constantly searching for the plays that work as opposed to just ever giving up on a series or anything like that. And they had been kind of the aggressor in that way. And they weren't really able to do that against Iowa State. And they had several fourth downs that you look back and you go, man, you, you probably should have gone for it even the moment was kind of the thing. Like even the one uh, where you could where you took the 50-yard field goal and you didn't make it, like that was one where you probably should have just gone for uh, the fourth down, especially knowing that you didn't have like a super great, kicking game in terms of the the placement kicking on on long field goals and whatnot. Um, So that's another thing that I kind of just loop back into like the bad game thing that, hey, if you do go for it on that fourth down and and what if you convert and you end up scoring a touchdown instead of it being a missed field goal. So again, like there's, there's little things that you can point to and be like, yeah, I think the offense could be fine because if they were just more aggressive. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday about the offensive lack of aggressiveness and how it's curious that how KU got to where they were after the Houston win, going into the Duke game. They got there by being aggressive on offense, by by kind of throwing caution to the wind and, and opening up the playbook and, and this, that, and the other. And then now we've seen them. We saw it against Duke, and then we saw it against Iowa State also, where this team, late in the game, they've kind of turtled up a little bit in terms of their play calling and in terms of their execution even. Uh, against Duke, they ran it three straight plays when they had the lead and got it, and then sent it back to Duke late in the game. Against Iowa State, kind of the same deal late in the game. 
And it, it is it is a bit curious because that, you know, you're kind of going away from what got you to where you were at that point. So I, I don't know if that's just a Lance Lipo thing, if it's a, you know, hey, if we're up late in the game, we want to use as much clock as possible. We want to force the other team to make a call timeout, which is not a it's not a bad game plan. Like it's not a bad strategy. I think KU fans would view it as a bad strategy because of the fact that the KU defense hasn't been great, but now they had a good game against Iowa State. So, so I don't know, but I, I mean, I think. It, and again, if, if you want to draw another parallel to the Chiefs, it's kind of the same discussion of like if you've got this one unit on your team that is by far the best unit on your team led by the best player on your team, Jalen Daniels. Why not let though why not let that unit mm-hmm. determine the outcome of the game instead of sending out what you would consider to be one of, uh, you know, a weaker unit in the defense. Well, that's that's what I, I I found to be weird about the game because it you know, it'd be one thing if that's what like Iowa did, right? That that's just what Iowa does. Yeah. They they have yeah. this elite defense and and they're going to play more conservative on offense. That's just like part of their brand. That hasn't been what KU has done this season, you know? So that's why the the quote-unquote lack of aggressiveness, to me, felt different than in past games, that it was a little bit weird there. And then the other part of this of trying to figure out what happened is, again, we go back to the Iowa State defense. But by a lot of different metrics and stats, like it's a top 20, 25 defense in college football, and it does play kind of a unique scheme and whatnot. Now, the worry there is are other teams going to pick up on what they did and start to do that themselves? TCU runs kind of a similar scheme, obviously different players and a little bit different in some of the tendencies that they do, but there's a little bit of similarities there. That that does worry you maybe a little bit, but I think if you're looking you know, at some of the, the, the things that, I don't know, you can point to and say, well, maybe we could be okay there. If, if you're going to play the same scheme like over and over, Eventually, you're going to start to figure it out because there are smart minds in that that coaching staff, and Jalen Daniels is a good quarterback that has learned so much already in his time, so why would he not learn more and more and more? But I think that would probably be the most worrisome part for me about what the offense did in the Iowa State game. It was that your quarterback, who is a Heisman candidate and is all these you know great adjectives and verbs you want to describe as, as a wonderful, unbelievable football player, he wasn't used a ton, right? He only had, I think, 14 passes. He um, wasn't super involved. You weren't kind of giving him the ball and letting him make plays on uh, a lot of first downs and whatnot. And I think it would have been one thing if in that game you walked away and said, well, KU just tried to run it over and over again, and Iowa State just figured out a way to stop the option and, and shut down KU's running game. And if you were to just say, well, they were just in a lot of third and long, so it made it tough on Jalen Daniels. The fact that they made it so tough on Jalen specifically and for the QB to have a down game, I think that is a little bit more worrisome, even though I still do expect him to bounce back. I mean, is it possible to rely too much on Jalen? That's a tough question because in general, I feel like the answer usually is no with the quarterbacks, but also the quarterback, like you can't just have the quarterback pass 100% of the time to where like defenses are only keen on passing the football and are only keen on this one guy. Like, uh, so yes, I, I guess it is possible, but huh. that felt like, I don't know. It, it felt like we didn't see enough. It felt like I, uh, you know, I ordered dinner out at a restaurant and they only brought me like half of what the dinner was. You know what I mean? To where like it was good. And so you know, you want to let Jalen cook. Yeah, I guess. I guess that hasn't worked for the other quarterbacks we've done it with. 
guess it's really only Russell Wilson. Um, yeah, that's true. But I guess now the pressure's on because you're coming off your worst offensive game. You have all these questions. Daniel Highshaw, one of your most dynamic players, he's out. And you're playing a TCU team that, I mean, they put up yards, they put up points. So the pressure's on for you to have a good performance because you're you're going to have to, as we were saying, talking about the DraftKings, the, the team line of 30 and a half, it's hard for me to envision this team winning this game without scoring over on that 30 and a half points. But I guess if we finish this up, here is the positive side because I think both of us are kind of leaning to the idea that it was just a bad game yep. and you sprinkle in the fact that Iowa State had a good defense and some of these other things. Yep. But it was mainly just that. It was a bad game. I don't expect this to be a bad stretch, I guess is the way to put it. No, I think for the positives, you could also point to the fact it wasn't even a full game. It was just one half of football. So it's not even that KU played one bad game of football. It's they played one bad half offensively. In the first half, they had 14 points, nearly 17 with the field goal, maybe more if you would have gone for it on the fourth down. You averaged like six and a half yards per play in the first half. And then you just got stifled in the second half and you couldn't find any rhythm. You couldn't get those first downs and move the ball and whatnot in the second half. So it really wasn't a full game. I think the KU offensive line still played well. I mean, a lot of them graded out well. You still averaged a solid number in terms of yards before the uh, running backs were hit, in terms of yards before contact. You only gave up one sack in the game, so like the KU offensive line played pretty well. They still do have a deep running back room, even though Daniel Hyshaw's injured, and that really sucks for him and the team and everything. Okay, you went out and got Kai Thomas and Savion Morrison. You have Tory Lachlan. You still have Devin Neal. Like, you still have a really good running back room there. And back to the Jalen Daniels thing, like, yes, it's, it's discouraging that you would have a guy that you know, had a, a tough game, but if Jalen is who we think he is, which is one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12 and one of the better quarterbacks in the entire country, you should be confident he's going to bounce back because that's what good players do. If Same thing for Andy Kotelnicki, like as offensive coordinator. If you think he's one of the better offensive coordinators in the Big 12, well, you should be confident that the offense bounces back and that they do devise a strong game plan, especially considering the TCU does some of those things, like we said, similar to what Iowa State does, meaning you basically had the Iowa State game as kind of like a, a practice opportunity to show guys, here's what you do, here's what you don't do, or watch the film and say, okay, this is what we did wrong. So I guess I'll, I'll finish things off by asking again the big question. What do we make of the KU offense now? The KU offense is extremely fine. They've never been more fine ever in the history of the KU offense. <laughs> Which type They're of fine? fine? My wife says I'm fine all the time, and that's like, <laughs> you know... Not fine. Yeah. No, exactly. I know what you mean. No, they're they actually I don't even know how to say this. They actually are fine. Okay. <laughs> like, like they they are Man, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I I think I think they actually are fine for mm -hmm. the reasons that you listed there at the end. Jalen Daniels, he's gonna bounce back. There's no question about it. I mean, even like I said, we'll get to his audio, but he his mind his mentality that we saw today that I saw today tells me that this guy is going to be successful. And he's and and I can guarantee you that he brings that same mentality to the rest of the offense, which is only going to make everybody else ever, even better. And I really like Andy, Kotel Andy Kotelnicki, and I think he and Jalen Daniels have a really excellent relationship, and I think that's going to help them a lot too also. And, and again, I, I think Iowa State legitimately has, has, has a pretty good defense, and TCU's defense has performed better than maybe we thought at this point coming into the season, but they're not, nearly, they're not as good as Iowa State, I don't think. And after that, you get Oklahoma. Oklahoma's defense is I could play for Oklahoma's defense. <laughs> I uh so I think I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I, I think they'll be fine too. 
but I think this week will answer the question of like on the on the fine meter, like how far are we going here? Are we talking about this is still one of the top, you know, two or three offenses in the Big Twelve? I think they're a top top five offense in the yeah. Big Twelve. Well, because if if they end up being the fifth or sixth best offense, it's probably still enough for I this mean, team. Which to, offenses in the Big Twelve are better than KU right now? Uh, TCU, we think o- maybe TCU, we think Oklahoma State probably. Yeah. And, and after that, it's you're Oklahoma, kind of pulling hairs. Maybe, maybe Texas. I don't know. With a healthy Quinn Ewers, I should say. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But if this ends up being the fifth or sixth best offense in the Big 12, it's probably enough to make a bowl game. It's probably not enough to uh, – in fact, it is not enough to to get to that conversation of what we're talking about of, oh, could they win eight or nine games? Could they challenge for a Big 12 title race, right? Um, but if they are one of the top two or three offenses, that's how they stay kind of in that conversation. So we'll have a uh, good idea of what they are, I think, after this game because it's our first real opportunity to overcome some adversity and kind of bounce back this season and the first time that we've seen anybody even be able to slow the KU offense at all. With yeah. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got some Jalen Daniels audio that coming up next. What did you learn from the Iowa State film? Um, that there were some throws that I was missing, you know, some stuff that I needed to be able to clean up. Went back on film and realized that there were some, you know, situations that I was able to put our team in a better position, um, and I'll do better. I'll do a better job at that this week. What's it like going back and, and seeing things that maybe you didn't see in the moment? Um, you know, like any other play that you mess up on, you know, just look at it, make sure that you don't make that same mistake. How different is is that day if you hit Skinner on the, the one deep ball? It's definitely. Close, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely probably a different day. Um, I feel like if I hit that, it would have been way more shots thrown. Um, yeah. Are, are you uh, – What kind of like Mike was just asking, are you, are you watching yourself with a super critical eye? Are you watching big picture when you're going back over film? I mean – Hopefully you're enjoying what you're watching some too because you've had yeah. a good start to the season. But are you are you hard on yourself? Are you super critical? I'm very very critical on myself. I mean, I feel like you know if you're not your your biggest critic, then you know you're not you're not that confident in what you can do. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely very critical in what I, when I go back on. I don't really look at like I I know when there's going to be a good play coming up, and I might watch it once or twice. But I'm looking at the plays that I messed up on probably about 15, 20 times to not make that same mistake. And then what do you do with it? You take notes, mental notes? Definitely. All I mean, above? it's all mental notes. Okay. Mental notes. I mean, for the most part, I miss throws that I, I normally haven't missed this season. So, I mean, I, it's really it's real mental stuff, you know, working on the mechanics of the throws that I missed. What, what about feedback from uh, Coach Z or, or Andy? I mean, they'd give you any extra feedback this week over that game, or was it pretty standard stuff? No, nah, pretty standard. I mean, just play your game, play as yourself. You know, don't don't switch for any situation. What was going through your head on the, the field goal attempt by Iowa State to try to tie it? <laughs> if we go to overtime, we're going to get it done. And if we don't, great job for the defense. What have you seen from TCU's defense so far? Yeah, I mean, they run a lot of man. You know, they have a, a pretty similar structure to what Iowa State was running last week. Um, I feel like we've done a great job of emphasizing what we're going to do to the to the defense this week, and we're just going to go out there and execute what we've been working on this week. Does that help to play a similar defense in back-to-back weeks? Definitely. I mean, because we've seen some of those looks before. You know, I made some mistakes last week, and those are some stuff that I said I was going to clean up this week, so definitely feeling great about this week. What do you do without Daniel? Coach told us yesterday he's going to be out for a while. What do you think of the running Best situation without him. It's the game of football. You have to be able to show up when your number is called. 
you know, we have a lot of great running backs in that room that are able to make a lot of things happen with the ball in their hands. So, you know, next man up. Jalen, how often do you watch other quarterbacks? I know you don't have a ton of time right now. But yeah. Are you watching other guys and pulling things from, from what you might see from other guys? That's more of an off-season thing when I'm really just pulling stuff from what they do. I mean, I'm definitely watching highlights of the game since we're normally playing during most of the big-time games. Uh, you know, definitely watching some of those big-time games that are happening over the weekend, though. Have you seen much of uh, Max Duggan, TCU's guy? I have not. I watched the highlights of that OU game, though. Sure. So, yeah, I've really basically just been focusing on their defense pretty right. much, though. In the midst of everything that's just going on, the success you guys are having, how much are you able to enjoy this? Like, just personally enjoy everything that's going on? I feel like all of that, all of that enjoyment should happen after the season, you know, because if you're trying to enjoy it now, then you're not really focused on what, what, what else is going to be able to happen. You're not necessarily focused on the future. You're more so focused on the past and focusing on the past is not something I really want to harp on. I really like to focus on the present, keep my feet where they are, and just keep on striving. Team speed-wise, is GC the fastest you've gone against this year? Yeah, I mean, they have, a lot of, they have a lot of fast guys in that secondary who are able to move around all over the field, you know, from sideline to sideline. So, I mean, they, have, they definitely have a lot of speed in that secondary. And with the way you guys do stuff based on reads, I guess – how does it change when you go against the defense? It is a lot faster than, say, Iowa State. That's a lot more maybe physically grueling. Yeah, we're not changing for what we do. You know, I've said this since the season started. We're not going to change what we do for any team. We're just going to keep on going out there with the same mentality of chasing that 1%. So we're going to go out there and, you know, play our game. I asked Coach K about this last week, I think after you. Uh, can you just take us through the early stages of a week with him when you guys first meet and – when you first hear about the game plan, and, and I know he's talked about you have a lot of freedom to cross things off or, hey, I yeah. don't like that, I don't like that. What, what does that do for you, and, and what does that look like from, from maybe Sunday through Friday? Yeah, if we're talking about crossing things off. That happens more so on that meeting that we have on that Friday to okay. see where we're putting all the plays that I like the most in these situations in order so that when that situation comes, he knows what play that I like the most, and we're going to run that play very, the very first time. Like, if we have a third and ten call, We'll have that on the script, and he'll like we go over it on that Friday, and he'll say, "All right, so out of these six, seven plays, which one do you like the most? Which one do you want to run the last?" Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like that definitely gives me a lot of freedom because I know I know what situations that are probably going to come in that situation from the defense. So I feel like I have the answers before they happen, and if the defense is running what I think they're going to run, then I already know where I'm going to be able to go with the ball. Did, did you expect to get that from him um, this soon, especially? Um, I feel like he, he's been doing that. Okay. He's been doing that since last year. Okay. I mean, communication between offensive coordinator and a quarterback is key yeah. because if we're on the same page, then our whole offense will be on the same page. In your experience, personal experience, or maybe talking to other guys you know who play the position, is that level of input common at this level of football? Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure. I've never really necessarily asked other quarterbacks, you know, in college football what their offensive coordinators are doing for them. Uh, more so just focused on myself, honestly. Um, I have a few guys back home from California who are at the other colleges right now, and it's something I could ask, and I probably will ask after the season now that you, now that you uh, gave me that question. But, you know, no, I haven't asked to this point. Jane, when game day gets announced, come to Lawrence, what's your reaction when you saw that? Um, same preparation, same everything. I mean, you know, it, it's great to be able to see that our program is finally getting that type of notoriety and everything like that. And, you know, looking forward to packing the booth again for three weeks in a row. But, you know, same preparation. For the most part, I don't even know if I'll be able to really see much of college game day since we're going to be preparing for the game. But it's definitely exciting to know that, you know, we're, our program is getting that type of notoriety now.
Do you have any game day memories, whether it's just watching it on TV, maybe you were able to be at one for whatever reason? Do you have any memories that stand out of it at all? Why you say ask that question again? Like, do you have any memories of game day, whether it's watching it on TV, or maybe you were able to actually be at a game day for whatever reason that stand out in your mind? No, I have I no, no, sir. What What's the biggest opportunity? Uh, I know you won't be high, highly involved with it, but you know they're here. You know they're showcasing KU, like you just mentioned. What, what What's the biggest thing you guys, as a program, can gain from that type of exposure? Yeah, I mean, being able to being able to have that type of exposure from everybody. I mean. College game day is something that everybody around the nation is looking at. So the fact that they're coming to our campus and our game means everything to us as a program. But, you know, like I said, we're still going to go on with that same preparation. We're still going to treat TCU like like it's another team that we're going against. Hey, Jalen, when the defense holds Iowa State to 11, does that give you guys some confidence on the offensive side? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it lets us know that we're definitely able to lean on each other. It's something that we've been working on this whole offseason, which is, you know, that brotherhood, being able to communicate with offense, defense, and special teams. And, you know, the fact that we were able to have that outcome from that game just lets us know that we're able to lean on each other no matter the situation. Can you feel a difference in energy on campus? I mean, clearly you do on game day with the yeah. crowd, just with everything that's going on, game day coming to town, do you feel it and sense what's going on around campus? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is my first semester in college actually having an in-person class every single day of the week. So, you know, when I'm walking around campus, there's a lot of energy from, from students on campus. You know, there's fans walking around who are, you know, giving us raw chalk. You had a good, you had a great game last week, you know, looking forward to this week and we're going to pack the booth. So, you know, we love that type of energy and we love having that type of, you know, excitement from the fans and students. Special guest joins us now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, Landry Burdine, who is the sideline analyst for the TCU football radio team that's going to be coming up to Lawrence for the game on Saturday, college game day in town. And uh, Landry, big win for TCU, both in terms of the win against Oklahoma just and in terms of the scoring margin as well over the Sooners. What's kind of the buzz around the program right now with Fort Worth in year one under Sonny Dykes with uh, the strong start and 4-0 so far? Uh, it's probably a lot like the buzz in Lawrence. You know, it's uh, it was good. I mean, Saturday was fun. I mean, anytime you can beat OU, that's uh, that's always a good day. And anytime you can, you know, put it on them like the Horn Frogs did, that that's you know, it's just even better. It was. Uh, I, I knew going into the game after watching film of the Oklahoma against Kansas State game where they got beat at home that. Uh, the Horn Frogs had a pretty good chance in that game, but I didn't know it was going to be like that. And you know, there were <clears throat> several things that kind of led to that. There, you know, untimely turnover by Oklahoma. Uh, Dylan Gabriel wasn't very accurate, which you know, some of that was because of TCU pass rush. Some of it was just because he he just wasn't on. But uh, you know, that game got away from Oklahoma so quickly with a couple of of coverage busts and. Uh, they just couldn't get caught up at that point. So, uh, so it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of excitement around town. That was a great crowd at Amon Carter uh, on Saturday. Student section was was phenomenal. And so, uh, so yeah. I mean, I, you know, with heading up to Lawrence and college game day showing up. I mean, it's it's who would have thought, right? Texas OU weekend and game days in Lawrence, Kansas, with uh, TCU in Kansas. It, it, you couldn't have written this script, right? No, you couldn't have. And, and I mean, going back to last year, this was obviously a close game. It was 31-28. You know, TCU comes out with the win in the end. They kicked that 25-yard field goal after kind of running the time down and whatnot. Back and forth game. And, and I'm just curious from your end, like, when that happened, obviously TCU was in the midst of uh, a season in which Gary Patterson was his last at TCU and everything. At that point in time, when it was like, oh, man, we're in a close one with Kansas here. What's going on? But now, fast-forwarding to where we're at now, 
Uh, does looking back that game feel a little bit different than, than maybe it did at the time? You know, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but, you know, it was <clears> – <throat> that game – you talk about just two completely different teams, I think. I, I don't even know that that taught me a lot, right? I mean, Kansas was definitely on the way up, but they weren't nearly as good as they are now. And TCU was on the way down, right, and has done a complete reversal. And, you know, both teams have a lot of different personnel, and, and obviously TCU's got a completely different scheme and a completely different philosophy. So I just remember, you know, if I remember right, that game was in November, and, and I think every, everything had kind of been decided by that point. But it was just, I mean, at that point, we were all just wanting the season to be over. It was just pure misery. Um, so it was kind of, yeah, it was great to get a win, you know, against Kansas. And, and uh, you know, you could tell Kansas really had, you know, some good things that they were starting to do. But, uh, no, I, I don't put a lot of stock into that game uh, last year just because of the changes really in both teams. Well, and you mentioned with some of those changes for, for TCU, Sonny Dykes taking over as head coach and – the offense has been unbelievable so far. Max Duggan lighting up scoreboards, uh, you know, no matter what metric you're looking at, yards per play, total yards, points per game, TCU is near the top of the country or at the top in, in some of these different uh, things. What, what has made this TCU offense, because they were good last year, but what has kind of jumped them to this next level of being one of the premier offenses so far in college football? I tell you, that's a good one. You know, Garrett Riley, obviously, uh, new offensive coordinator, new scheme, um, has a lot to do with it. Um, I, I think they're teaching it better. Um, you know, anytime you look at a team that's struggling or a team that's doing well, you know, a lot of it is coaching and, and the ability to translate the concepts that they want, they want these guys to do and, uh, you know, and to get them to execute it. And so I think at, the, at TCU anyway, and Kansas too, for that matter, uh, the, the coaching is, is much better. Um, this TCU offense has weapons. Uh, all over the place. They're five deep at running back. They can put any of those guys in, and they all do a really good job. They're really deep at receiver. Uh, they now have some tight ends that can make some plays. And but I tell you, the change is really uh, if you know if you're not talking about the offensive coordinator, you're talking about the offensive line. And the offensive line for TCU has just been dominant. They've been physical, um, and they've done a good job. And the other thing is TCU hasn't really turned the ball over much. Uh, you know, Max Duggan's taking care of the football. The running backs have taken care of the football, and uh, so that has been really the biggest key for me is hanging on to the football and and you know Sonny Dykes talks about all the time playing complimentary football. Uh, the defense has done a good job taking it away, and the offense has done a really good job of holding on to it. Is there is there any question that has been presented so far about the offense of like oh well what happens when they face this or when they face that or does it just kind of feel like this is going to continue being one of the best <clears throat> offenses in the Big Twelve and in the country throughout the season? I think they're going to continue to be good. I, you know, the thing that intrigues me about this Kansas game is, you know, Oklahoma and, and some of the other schools that TCU has faced, they were getting pressure uh, relying on the blitz, right? Well, the Kansas has been really good just with their base front four of getting to the quarterback. And so, you know, I think you're kind of looking at strength on strength here with TCU's O-line and, and Kansas's D-line. And, and I'm really curious to see how that shakes out. So, you know, I, I think this offense is going to continue to, to put up a lot of points. Um, I think they have too many weapons to not do that. But uh, Kansas, I think, is going to present an interesting challenge. And, you know, as you get further into the season, you're going to play some better defenses, right? So Oklahoma State um, is playing really good defense now. Iowa State plays really good defense. So does Baylor. So, you know, the better defenses that they're going to face uh, are coming down the pipe. And, of course, they got a matchup with Texas and, you know, former coach Gary Patterson. So that'll be interesting.
Well, on the defensive side of the ball, that's where Gary Patterson used to kind of bread his butter, and that unit kind of fell apart last season. But so far this year, as much as the offense has been the talk, uh, defense has played pretty well also. I mean, you hold Oklahoma to you know 24 points um, in that game. Uh, what's gone into the change on that side of the ball this year? Uh, that change has been pretty drastic. It's a completely different philosophy. Uh, defensive coordinator Joe Gillespie is uh, less on, you know, just – Gary Patterson was just tons of information, tons of information. You've got to learn it and, and, and understand it. And he would get plays in right at the last minute. And it was pretty hectic, and it worked for a long time. In the last, you know, really three or four years, it it, it, it hasn't. And so – Gillespie has a completely different approach. He wants to give his guys enough information uh, where they know where he wants them, and then he wants them to go be athletes and go make plays. And um, and he's adamant about that. He's like, guys, I don't want you overthinking things. Uh, when the game's going on, I want you to be fast. I want you to play fast. And um, you know that's one of the things that, that he harps on. So they've done a really good job of that. They've done a good job of uh, not making assignment mistakes, letting guys run down the field uh, wide open because of a coverage bust or something like that. That and that's something that the TCU defense the last two or three years, uh, you couldn't say that about them. Um, they, there were too many busted assignments and things like that. So that's really been the biggest change for me. Um, and you know, Coach Gillespie is is pretty calm and uh, calm in the locker room. And uh, you know, it's it's really just been a lot of different atmosphere around the program. Um, you know, which is kind of weird to say, right? I played for Patterson over 20 years ago and have been around the program for the 20 years he's been there. So it's it's really strange to have a different voice in the room on the defensive side, for sure. Well, when you look at the game so far for TCU, really the only team who was able to, to put reasonable points on was SMU, but that came when, you know, TCU jumps up to the big lead and then SMU just tries to kind of crawl back in. But was there anything that, that SMU did in that game that gave the TCU defense trouble, or was that just kind of a... Uh, yeah, you do get up by such a big lead, and then it's just kind of natural to, to, I don't know, fall asleep a little bit more at the wheel. Yeah, there was some of that. Because i got to tell you, it was, it was miserably hot in that game, um, and you could tell TCU was, it was pretty comfortable um, pretty much most of that game, at least in the second half, and uh, you could tell the guys were just losing focus. Uh, with uh, with the heat and you know they were on the turf at SMU which is just garbage and it was so hot and uh, so I think that was a lot of it but you know SMU has some talented guys too I mean I, I think Tanner Morka is one of the better quarterbacks in the country and he's got a couple of weapons that he was able to find and so I really don't want to take anything away from them either I mean they made that a game because they're you know they're a good football team but uh, yeah there was there was a little bit of lost focus there that I don't think you're going to see this weekend in Lawrence. So I don't know how much research you've already dug into because we're early in the week here for the KU game or whatnot, but is there anything that sticks out to you that you think could make it tough for TCU on Saturday that the Jayhawks do? You know, I, I typically, I, I, you're right, I'll watch film. I usually will start watching game film on um, Thursday, so I really haven't had a chance to dig into uh, you know what they're doing, or at least what they're doing really well. But I know their quarterback play has just been through the roof. They take care of the football, uh, you know, a lot like TCU does. And so, you know, again, it goes back to my comment about being a well-coached football team. I think what Lance Leopold and his staff have done is is 
phenomenal. Um, I, you know, I think it's the story of college football this season. So, um, and I know that you know he's been there longer than this season. This has been building, but you know he's building a program and a culture, and um, you know it's pretty cool to see. And I think it's good for the Big Twelve too. You know, rising tides lift all ships, right? And and so for Kansas to be really good and in the mix, um, it just adds credibility to, credibility to the league and and what we're trying to accomplish. So, uh, no, I'll I'll start digging into film on uh, Thursday night. Um, and then on the flight up there when we're headed up on Friday. So, uh, you know, maybe you guys need to give me some, some tips on what I need to be looking. But, you know, so far of what I've seen, it's it's definitely a really good football team. Well, is there anything that, that sticks out to you about, you know, for TCU to, to have success on Saturday that, that X needs to happen, that, that so-and-so or, or some <laughs> unit or, or whatnot has to play well for the Horned Frogs? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So the Frogs are going to have to continue to run the football well, which they've done, um, and they're going to have to continue to take care of the football, um, which they've done, and that's why they've done well on offense. They haven't really turned the ball over, uh, and they've they've run the football extremely well, and that's opened up the passing game for Max Duggan, and he's been accurate. Um, and so I don't expect that to change as long as they're taking care of the football and not turning the ball over. And on the defensive side, if they can continue to not blow assignments and not let guys run around all over the place, and uh, you know they were better on third down last week, then then you know I think that's really what TCU's success has been. They're gonna. On defense, they're going to let you chip away at them, and they're going to let you kind of move the ball down the field a little bit. But in the red zone, they're going to tighten up and and uh, you know keep you out of the end zone. At least that's what they've been able to do this year. So he is Landry Burdine, sideline analyst for the TCU Horn Frogs. Landry, appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hopping on here. All right, Derek, you got it, man. Anytime, and uh, send me some restaurant recommendations when I get up there, will you? Absolutely, we'll do. Just need to know uh, what type of food you want. Obviously, the barbecue is a little <laughs> different here, but. We got some spots. Appreciate it, man. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right. That was Landry Burdine of the TCU radio crew joining us here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. Once again, you can hear the game on Saturday. We're going to have our live pregame show out at Big Mill on the corner of 9th and Mississippi. Nick and Scott are going to be there doing a pregame show 830 to 930. You can come by because the Kiss Crew is going to be there 830 to 1030. With the prize wheel, you can spin it, get... Uh, all sorts of free stuff like KU football shirts and koozies and gift cards and all sorts of free stuff. It takes like two minutes to stop by and spin it. You can always go to Big Mill for the game, before the game, after the game, or just during the week. They've got Wine Wednesdays, BOGO, Coney Nights on Mondays, buy two, get one free pizza nights on Thursdays. So stop by Big Mill. Then uh, Crimson and Blue Show starts at 9.30 here on KLWN and KLWN.com. Kickoff at 11 o'clock. You can hear it here with the Jayhawk Radio Network. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it. Got a special guest joining us now, Ray Bouchard, the head coach of the KU women's volleyball team here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. And Coach, 12-4 and four to start the season here. What are some of the things that you've liked about your team's start to the year, and what are some things that you're still looking to try to improve as we kind of get to the middle of Big 12 play shortly? Yeah, we've, uh, we've played uh, a really competitive uh, pre-conference schedule that I was really pleased with. We had some really good wins on the road early on, um, and then we, we, we dig into uh, – conference play and you know you win in manhattan you win in norman so you're excited about that we're a little disappointed obviously 
that we let a couple uh, five-match uh, uh, opportunities get away from us at home, albeit the number one team in the country was one of them and then the highly ranked team, Baylor, the other two. So, hey, we're in a good place. Um, we show up every day. Uh, they practice hard. Uh, they like each other. Uh, and I think we've got good opportunities in front of us. Yeah, those five set losses with Baylor and Texas. Uh, what's that kind of like as a coach? Because I would imagine that's got to be kind of a positive thing in terms of, hey, you have these top tier teams in the country. Like, clearly we can play with them. Clearly we can beat them. At the same point in time, falling just a little bit short, I'm sure gives you some teaching opportunities and whatnot. So, what's kind of been the, I, I guess, aftermath of those two matches uh, with Texas and Baylor? Yeah, I think you feel kind of conflicted in that. Uh, certainly you saw some high-level volleyball, uh, but then there were some off opportunities to finish, uh, most specifically the second set against Baylor would have put us up 2-0 and made that, I think, the the tone of that match look much different. Uh, you're up 2-0 against Texas uh, and have some opportunities in the fourth set. So uh, I think you got to give credit to your opponent, first and foremost, uh, played at a high level. I think you need to identify some things we did really well. And now we need to figure out in end game against really good teams what it takes to uh, create uh, a different result there. You're number one in the Big 12 in opponent hitting percentage. You're number one in the Big 12 in blocks per set. What's been the biggest component of that defensive side of things for you guys that has been so strong and, and has led to kind of the, the start to this season on that end? Yeah, we have some physicality, certainly. Uh, we've got pretty good size, and we've got uh, some volleyball players who can uh, get in front of folks and create some problems defensively. I'm a little surprised by our hitting efficiency. Uh, we thought maybe going into the season that that would be an area we'd have to really um, create some opportunities in, but uh, we've had some people step up and do a nice job. So there's a nice mix there. Um you know, when we, I think when we can compete at that level in the first contact, being serve and pass, I think that will uh, change the complexion of our team a little bit too. So, hey, just like everybody else, we're a work in progress, but it's October. Uh, we're kind of into the grind of the season. I think we still feel really good about the opportunity to get better and compete uh, against good teams. Aya El Nadi was injured last season and. She's been awesome so far this year, really bouncing back into form. What can you kind of say about her game and her journey to kind of get where she is now? Yeah, I mean, there's a kid that uh, shows up every day uh, and is ready to go 100%, 100% of the time. And I think that's, uh, you know, she's in early. She's in before practice. Sometimes we have to limit her uh, jumps because she, she is so intent in getting better. Uh, and I think that's where it all starts with her. She's very competitive. Uh, she's very interested in, in her individual uh, development in all areas of the game. And uh, she's a great teammate. So she's, she's been a great uh, addition uh, in a lot of different ways uh, from a cultural standpoint, from how hard she competes to the type of teammate she is. Um, and she's destined to have a really, really solid career here. You obviously had some big-time newcomers coming into the program, too. We've seen Katie Dalton kind of come in at different times to, to set for you guys. Lauren Dooley coming in as a graduate coming over. Uh, what have you thought about some of your team's newcomers who we've seen play kind of pivotal roles at times uh, after bringing them in in the offseason? 
Yeah, I mean, Lauren Dooley uh, brought in, obviously, a wealth of experience. Uh, but beyond that, uh, just a great human being who uh, has been a great teammate. She's been a great role model for some of our younger players. Um, and, we, you know, we, dro- we brought back a ton of, ton of returners, so it's made it a little bit difficult for some. But you mentioned Katie Dalton, who I think has an opportunity to have a really good career here. She just happens to be playing the same position as one of the more talented setters in the country in Cameron Turner. But she'll find her way, and she'll continue to improve and work hard. Um, you know, we've had some some good results from uh, Bryn Kirsch, from Bryn McGee, uh, Molly McCarthy from our DS crew. And then we're excited about, you know, Ryan Swanson and some of the things she can do uh, on the outside, and she's still learning. And I think she'll have an impact on this team before the season's over, too. So it's a nice mix of, uh, you know, with, uh, with Dewey as a grad transfer and some and some new young talent that's created some really competitive opportunities in practice for us. Well, you're at Iowa State on Friday. What are going to be the keys to a successful match up there, names? Yeah, they uh, you know they just beat Baylor there their last time out, so they're extremely comfortable at home. Uh, they've always been a team where they built their culture around defense. So we're going to have to be offensively. We're going to pass the ball well. We're going to have to and and create good opportunities for our offense. We've got to find a way to get kills and hit for a decent number. And then, you know, hope we have enough defense to go around. But, um, you know, as you look down the Big 12 schedule, uh, there was a year not in the so distant past where you could point to a couple and circle and say, okay, those are going to be gimmies. And there's just there's none of those on the schedule now. Everybody's elevated to a point where uh, night in and night out, it could uh, could go either way. Well, when the new Big 12 kind of comes about next year, I don't know how much you've kind of thought about that with the teams coming in. Obviously, you guys played UCF earlier this year. BYU has been kind of a power across women's volleyball here. Um, What are kind of your thoughts on the future of the league, even when Texas and Oklahoma leave for the SEC with some of those schools coming in? Yeah, well, you mentioned UCF, and we saw them up close and personal, and I know their team will look very different next year. They've got four, I think, grad grad transfers or grad students, but uh, he, he'll do a good job. Uh, you know, you mentioned BYU. It's a perennial top 10 uh, program. Hey, Houston's in the top 20 of the RPI right now, uh, and Molly Alvey at Cincinnati does a good job. So uh, it will just increase the depth and the quality uh, of our league, and whenever Texas and Oklahoma do depart, uh, their, their departure obviously will be felt. Uh, you know, Texas has been a premier program, but the, the depth that we get and the quality of teams we get with the newcomers will uh, keep big, the Big 12 as one of the premier conferences in the country. Has that ever been a conversation among coaches about similar to, you know, like you see in men's and women's basketball of having a Big 12 tournament in volleyball, or is that just something that, that's a little harder to put on in your sport? Yeah, it is. Uh, you uh, sacrifice a week of the regular season. Um, and <clears throat> with the double round robin format, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to, 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 to play the third time. I think the, the uh, reasoning behind the RPI there is you probably beat yourself up more than you would uh, otherwise. So uh, the fourth weekend in non-conference allows us to go out and get more wins as a conference, which will strengthen our overall RPI as a conference. So uh, I don't think any of the Power Five are doing uh, post-season uh, conference tournaments right now. 
Um, and I, I don't really see a move in the future to make that happen. Well, we saw a lot of positive momentum really stemming, I think, from last fall. You guys make the Sweet 16 run. We saw football finish the year strong, carries over into women's basketball winning a tournament game, men's basketball winning a national championship. And now, so far in the fall, you guys have had the strong start, and football's obviously started strong as well. Uh, what does it kind of do around the program? What's kind of the feeling around there? Because we've seen, you know, Lance Leipold at your games. We've seen all the coaches, like, going to other coaches' games. And it seems like you you all uh, are so supportive of each other with their different programs. So what is kind of the start to the season meant, do you think, for just kind of KU athletics as a whole with some of these different sports going on right now? Yeah, and Derek, I've been around, obviously, a pretty long time in the 25th year, and I've seen a number of ADs and football coaches and other things. I don't think there's ever been a synergy like we have right now. And uh, I'm a big fan of Coach Leipold. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations, and he is uh, the exact right guy at the right time, and I hope for a very long time here. But beyond that, uh, as I walk up and down my hallway, I've never had as much fun interacting with the coaches that I get to interact with. Um, we've got the right athletics director here who gets it, understands it, and obviously put, it, put us in a great position in our football program. And then you've got the, the staple, the Hall of Fame coach, who – has uh, basically carried us the last decade or so and Coach Self and, and what he'll do for uh, anybody at any time is pretty amazing. But, yeah, we got a special, special momentum going right now up and down the hallway with all the sports. You know, we made a couple of new hires in women's golf and baseball that are going to be outstanding. Uh, but the coaches have been here for many years like myself. I think have a feeling like we haven't felt in a long time, so – we can hope we, we can be hopeful that we can keep that going. Well, I like to finish up these interviews with kind of a fun offbeat question. So, uh, what is Coach Ray Bouchard's favorite all-time movie? His favorite all-time movie? Oh boy! Um, <clears throat> Remember the Titans would probably have to be in there somewhere uh, as a sports movie. Um, I'm a big fan of Shawshank Redemption too, but. Uh, um, I could probably quote a lot of the Remember the Titans. Uh, I like the soundtrack. Fun movie. Uh, I think it's got some historical perspective, so I'd probably go with that one. Well, Coach, good luck on Friday against Iowa State, and uh, leave no doubt. Let's do it. Thanks. Rock Chalk. All right, that was Ray Bouchard, head coach for the KU volleyball team, here joining us on Rock Chalk. Sports Talk again. They take on Iowa State on Friday. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll be back after this timeout. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. And we'll have Florida Man Mad Libs coming at you here in a little bit on RCST. But. First, we've got to go through our KU defensive notebook for the week. We had our offensive one yesterday. You can always catch that on the Best of RCST podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I think that what we found out in the Iowa State game, uh, we, we know the ceiling of this defense can be a good defense. How often can they get there? How repeatable is it? How much was that you know, turning the corner and kind of, creating this positive trajectory of of where they're going to be moving forward. I don't know, um, but it was important to see what the height is because we've seen the height of the offense. I think we've now seen the low of the offense. We know what the range is there. 
we don't really know what the range of this defense is. I, I don't think we've necessarily seen the the worst of this defense yet. Like maybe it was the West Virginia game because some of the things that you've done, but we now know that is in the bag that at any moment against any team, if they get the right matchup, they can do that. They can win you a game. What's most exciting about this too is they just played their best game of the season against Iowa State, and now they're going to face one of the top offenses in the country in TCU. So we're really going to get, I think, a pretty solid gauge of of how much of a springboard this Iowa State game might have been for the defense because they're going to be going up against one of the top offenses in the country, right, against TCU, which which is really exciting. And, and I, you know, you would generally want your strong performances to come right before big games like this against TCU. So it's really cool that there's a lot of confidence. And we heard from Brian Borland. We heard from the players. There's definitely no lack of confidence right now on this defense. There's a lot of guys that are that are excited about the defense and what they're doing, and and which which is really cool to see. So I think it's cool that right away we're going to see maybe a sort of a is recalibration the right word of the defense of like where we think they're at coming off of their best performance now going up against TCU. Like if they just totally bottom out against TCU, then it's like okay maybe this actually is you know the seventh or eighth best defense in the Big Twelve if that. But if they put up another good performance against CCU, then suddenly maybe you're talking about being more of a middle of the Big 12 type defense. And with the way the offense is playing, that could be good enough to win KU more games this season. I think I saw um, TCU has like one of the most plays or one of the most amounts of 30 or more yard plays in the country. KU's defense has been really good at limiting big plays. And also, it's funny, TCU's done that. They've played four games. Everybody else has played like five. Uh, so they've been really explosive and and unstoppable in that way, and there is a part of me that you know wonders if TCU is is just going to be able to exploit this KU defense and some of the maybe deficiencies that they have, even though they have been a lot better. There's another part of me though that wonders if if KU is able to continue that, if they're able to limit big plays, what if they're able to just frustrate TCU? Because it's one thing when you're putting up all these big point totals and drives are coming easy, and you're not facing third downs, you're not facing exotic blitzes or pressures from the opposing team. You're not really having to grind your way down the field and extend yourself on long plays where either you're getting tired or you're increasing your chance, you're increasing your risk of every play, maybe having a turnover on your end because they've only turned it over one time through the first four games. And if KU is able to limit the big plays, you wonder if that takes TCU like out of their comfort zone. It's the 2020 Chiefs offense. Strategy, yeah, basically, right? Where if you can force TCU to have a long drive, and what's interesting about that is that's been what KU has done really well on defense. Like, think back to the Iowa State game. It was very obvious to me watching that game that KU's game plan was we're not going to give up a big play. Iowa State had pretty much free reign of shallow crossers underneath or, thing, or things underneath that they wanted to get to, and that was evidenced by the fact that Xavier Hutchinson had 13 catches, but only 101 yards. So that's, you know, eight. I think that's like eight yards a catch, if that, right? So KU, that was clearly their strategy against Iowa State. And it's I it's got to be their strategy against TCU because TCU, as you said, is so good at getting those explosive plays. But like I said, it's, it's the Chiefs' 2020 offense strategy. Can you frustrate them and force them to have a 9, 10, 11, 12-play drive in which they execute all the way through without shooting themselves in the foot, without a turnover, without penalties, this, that, or the other, because they haven't had to do that. And even Brian Boylan mentioned it today in his press conference. He said, you know, this is interesting because this TCU team, they haven't had to do that. They haven't had to really, truly sustain long drives all season long. Against Oklahoma, I think two or three of their touchdowns were 60-plus yards, just one passes. And then uh, Max Duggan also had a big run against Oklahoma as well. So, so what happens if TCU's offense 
does have to grind out a drive. And furthermore, another one of the big strengths of this KU defense so far this season has been their red zone defense. They've been really good in the red zone. 21 attempts for opposing teams in the red zone so far against KU, only nine touchdowns. So less than 50% of the time, KU is giving up a touchdown when that team gets to the red zone. Now, I don't I don't know how much that, that might be skewed by the fact that Iowa State just couldn't score and kept kicking field goals and missing. But still, that's a big deal. I mean, if you can bend, don't break in the red zone, that's a huge deal. So that will be, I think, the story of this game defensively for KU against TCU is what does TCU do if they do have to have a 10-play, 75-yard drive? If they do have to have those long, sustained drives, first of all, can they do it? Because as Brian Borland said, they haven't really had to. They haven't needed to. I mean, you look at Oklahoma, first of all, the Oklahoma game for TCU, they were up so big so fast that it was the rest of the game at that point was just over already. So from that standpoint, what does what is, what is TCU do? What do they do? Yeah, so that'll be kind of the key there. And what you mentioned, too, with KU being really good in the red zone, they've done a lot of the like opportunistic things so well this year, whether it's you know creating a big turnover, whether it's making a stop in the red zone, whether it is even stopping teams kind of on third down. The one thing that they just haven't really done that well in terms of the opportunistic side of things with the defense is the the fourth downs. Um, Iowa State went four or five on fourth downs in that game. KU is last in the Big 12 right now in fourth down conversion percentage against them. So that'll be something that will probably be key in this game because TCU will probably have a couple chances to go for it on fourth down. Maybe like if if KU can have more success on fourth downs, then what we saw in Iowa uh, against Iowa State could be even better than that. So maybe that's not even ceiling for what this defense could kind of be. I, I do think one thing that's important here and, and has allowed them to I don't know, kind of be this like bend, don't break defense to a certain extent is the fact that you're not giving up a lot of those um, just easy running drives where, I mean, shoot, we saw it last year against TCU. I want to say in the the game last year, TCU ran for over 300 yards. Uh, I'll, I'll check on that. I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, they yeah. were basically able to run all over you whenever you wanted. And that, that wasn't just a TCU thing last year. Like KU was one of the worst uh, rush defenses. They sure, certainly were among Power 5 schools in that last season but this year it's not that they're like a dominant run defense like they're not you know prime Alabama in the early Nick Saban days where they're giving up one and a half yards or two yards per carry or something but they've been good at it they've been pretty good at it so far well I'm glad you mentioned this mm -hmm. because I want by the way TCU ran for 326 <laughs> on 49 carries in the matchup last year I wanted I wanted to bring this up we, we flirted with this already before so far this season but we are now five games into this season. We're almost halfway. Is it time to say that the run defense for KU is fixed? Like, like actually fixed? Like, completely fixed? I mean, at what point does it? do we go from, well, it's a decent start for the run defense, but they haven't really played any tough running teams yet. Like, I don't know. Is the run defense fixed? Like, at what point do we go from that to, okay, yes, the run defense is actually good and actually fixed? I mean, they're giving up 115.6 yards per game on the ground right now. That's 40th in the country. 40th after they were like 128 on in in run defense last season, they give up 250 yards a game on the ground last season. Two from 250 to 115 in five games, right? And it, and again, we've we've had this discussion the past couple weeks where it's like, well, yeah, the run defense looked pretty good again this week, but like, is it fixed? I don't know. It's you know, we're only three games into the season. We're only four games into the season. Now we're five games into the season, <laughs> and they and Iowa State could do nothing on the ground against KU. So are we going to officially take our rubber stamp out? and say, fixed? So this is this is a tough question. I think this is a good question. Because 
I want to say yes, but also it scares me if I say yes that we might be having a different discussion next week because the run defense could be fixed to a standpoint of like it's obviously better than last year. And so what you mean yeah, by I mean, fixed guess, is part I, I of it guess, too. Yeah, how would you describe fixed? But I would I would think that the the term fixed there doesn't just mean, oh, it has to be a little better than last year. I would think like, yeah, if you can at least be like Eric, middle of the pack their, in the Big 12. They've cut their yards per game in half. Yeah. Oh, by more more than half. No, they're they're fifth in the Big 12 in rushing yards allowed per game. Here's the here's the thing though. Um this is what scares me from from putting a definitive stamp on it as as you were saying. TCU is averaging over seven yards per carry running the football. They have over a thousand yards rushing already through four games. Okay, so, so if KU's run defense looks good against TCU, yes, are you busting up the rubber stamp? Yeah, I think so, and I think you can even grade it on a curve. Like if TCU averages whatever, like four point three yards per carry, that would be a great number against them. Okay. So. Yes, I would be willing to stamp it after this, but I think as of right now, you at the very least say they're much improved from I, last I year. I just think at some point we got to stop moving the goalposts with yeah. the run defense. Mm-hmm. Like literally every week we've had this conversation. Well, you know, KU's one and zero run defense is pretty good. KU's two and zero run defense is pretty good. KU's three and zero. Like, is it? It's fixed, or is it fixed? Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm gonna go a little further than you. I think I think it's I think it's I think it's fixed. Well, I guess I mean, we'll see against TCU, but if TCU is so good, you can make the argument even if TCU runs for two fifty in this game. You could say, well, the KU run defense is still fixed. It's just TCU was that good. You know, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe be. we come away that way. Could but um, that's obviously a big key to bending but not breaking and basically kind of, I don't know, making these opportunistic plays because you haven't just been kind of a sieve on that end of things. And then you have the red zone defense as well. Like, that's been, I don't know, so imperative for this team. If you had to pick an MVP for uh, – for the game against Iowa State, I think if you gave it to like a unit, the defensive line sticks out. I think even the safety group sticks out um, because yeah. Kenny Logan, OJ Burrows, Marvin Grant were all good in that game. Defensive line would get it as a unit. But if you had to pick a individual MVP in the game against Iowa State on the defensive side, who would it be? I think it's got to be either Kobe Bryant or Kenny Logan just because of the impact those two guys had throughout the game. But I thought it was interesting. Brian Borland was like, yeah, I think every unit had by far their best game, right? Like, so isn't that crazy? All three units for the But defense, it makes sense. It was your yeah, best, had the best game, game, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But all, but for all three to come together like that was, was really impressive. Yeah, I, yeah, Kobe Bryant, obviously with what he brings in terms of his, his skill and his ability, and, and we have some audio from him that coming up at some point later this week as well. We'll, we'll hear more from him about that. But yeah, just his confidence, just his ability as a corner, it's it's, it's really nice to see, and, and he had a, a great game and continues to, to play really well. But Kenny Logan is a guy that I don't think got off to the best start this season considering he was a preseason first-team all-conference guy, but Iowa State was kind of his game. It was kind of his game to say, yes, you know, I am that level of player, and he made some, some significant big plays. He had the pass breakup in the end zone. He had a couple big tackles as well in that game, so... One of those two guys, I think, definitely deserves it, because when you look at the, you know, when you look at the D line, it wasn't, and, and I think this is a positive, so I don't want anybody to think this was a negative. When you look at the D line, it wasn't a Lonnie Phelps takeover game. It wasn't just Lonnie Phelps, you know, destroying. It was actually four, five, six guys deep making plays for KU on the D line, which is which is great. That's that's even better than if it was just a Lonnie Phelps takeover game. So I don't think anybody really needs it there. Craig Young made some good plays. He's he's definitely been, you know, one of the guys. At the linebacker position, but I would go, I would probably go with Kobe Bryant. But I, but Kenny Logan had a great game as well. 
Yeah, Kenny Logan would be my one. I uh, Just that one play he made on Xavier Hutchinson. He was so good at something you've kind of been talking about all week with the crossing routes uh, yeah. that they gave up and, and basically saying we're going to make tackles and not allow big plays. They did make tackles. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. Kenny Logan had a couple of them, so he was uh, pretty imperative in the game. But, yeah, everybody on the defense was so good. And, again, if you could give it to a unit, I think you give it to the D-line. They did a lot of movement along the front, which I might have been to try to confuse Iowa State. I don't know if that's something I just hadn't noticed in other games or if that was a game-specific thing, but they were just really good overall. Sam Burt, Lonnie Phelps, Caleb Taylor, Caleb Sampson, they were all really good in that game. All right, that's our KU Defensive Notebook with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. All right, we've got another edition of Florida Man Mad Libs here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Sam Speck joins us in studio once again, and Nick got me last week. Nick is now four and three. We got the updated standings board here in the KLWN studio. <laughs> so if it was a seven-game series, Nick would have won. But fortunately for me, it is a longer series. So I am the, winning in total say, points. What, are you still winning in total points? Yes. Man. By, by three. three. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I got to get better. Mm-hmm. So, so by three, well, and again, you both have a very different tactical approach to this. But Derek, you kind of go off of what is correct off of what maybe a publisher Sometimes. would be writing. Listen, and I'll then s- you kind of go off of what's the wilder or more logical story. Yes. So it's been- I will, I will say this, Derek. The best part of winning ugly is winning. Four and three. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. I like this huh? kind of attitude heading into this. Is again, it is oh, this week, is a rivalry. Week eight, boys, and I'll tell you what, it's it has to be a rivalry. Neck. We're the only people playing. That's true. That's a good point. Actually. Well, sure, yeah. and what goes not only with the rivalry, whether it's you two only playing or whether it's the folks that are closest together, but not only that, but standings-wise, it's four and three. So, Derek, you're not that far apart. You do hold the aggregate point value of 20 to 17. So, at this point, again, in terms of a tiebreaker, Derek, you're not that far out mm. of it. But... Yes, indeed. Taking week number seven was Nick last week. So we'll change it up here for this week. Not too much by any means, but at the same time, we've got uh, a nice reel of Florida Man headlines here for you, gentlemen. And if you're unaware, again, the first round is one redacted word. Second round, there are two. So the first round's only one point. The second round, if you get both and the entire headline correct, then you get three points. So we will start with number one here, gentlemen, here. So again, only one redacted word out of this. A Florida couple, so it wasn't just Florida man here, Florida couple, they were charged after planning a wedding at a blank that they didn't receive permission for. Hmm. So kind of let that swell and think about it a little bit. And here are the words that could possibly be. So a Florida couple were charged after planning a wedding at either a hotel, a mansion, or a barn that they didn't have permission for. So all areas that can certainly hold a wedding, large areas that can certainly hold the recession, things like that. But uh, mansion, barn, or hotel are the three of those. I mean, okay, so all of these <laughs> make sense. This is just going to be no matter what. This is a 33% gas, basically. What do, you, but what, do you, what do you think? The only one that I don't feel as good about the others is hotel because it would be so easy to get in contact with the hotel to get permission. I could see this being a mansion or a barn where somebody owns it and they're like, oh, I've, I love that. Like, it looks beautiful. Or I'd love to do my wedding there. Like, let's do it there. The thing that the barn has going for it is maybe the barn is somewhere out in the land that they thought they could get away with doing it there and nobody would notice. Like, maybe it's on 
acreage mm. and acreage of land like, where you're, you're thinking about this differently. House, right? than, you're thinking about this differently than how I'm thinking. But that said, I am going to do mansion because it could just be a giant mansion that they've thought of as like, oh, that'd be so cool. Like, oh, nobody's living there right now. We can go, you know, easily. See, so I'm going to do mansion. See, my thought process on this is like, you know, it is kind of the in thing to pay a lot of money to go get married in a barn. Like that's like in yeah. where you just pay thousand dollars to get married in a barn. <laughs> so my thought process here is like this is a couple that either did not anticipate the cost of having to pay to go to like a venue like a barn or a mansion or they just didn't care or they were like you know what we're just gonna do it anyways we don't care like we, we just want to get married you know love is love i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with barn since he was mansion i'm going with barn here they just went to a barn that or they, they the farmer guy you know like seriously that's pretty common nowadays. the farmer like, guy the farmer guy owns the farm and he rents it out for weddings and stuff and they were like and he was like hey it's gonna be you know five thousand dollars and they were like man screw that we're just gonna go do it anyways and then they got caught this is uh, this is interesting because Nick, you have the backstory, but you actually have the correct answer, Derek. Florida couple charged ah, mm. after planning a wedding in a mansion they didn't receive permission for. This is actually an Airbnb that uh -uh. is usually rented out for many different events or anything like that. However, this couple did not take that step to do that. So you were correct, uh, Nick. They saw property. You know what? Saw Come to think of it, okay. and this is not something I thought about before my answer, but this would have made me even feel better about the the mansion. If it was a farmer, like, what are the chances if these people just intruded on his property? He's just coming out with a shotgun. He's not calling the police. These people oh, aren't getting bringing, in trouble. Yeah, yeah, he's bringing all arms you know? at yeah. this point. Get off my property. Or he's coming out with, you know, his pet alligator. Go get <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Sick him. Literally, big 2A or uh, his pet alligator on a leash or whatever it might be that Florida has in store. But uh, coming away with one point, Derek, on the first round. Lovely done. Mm -hmm. Mansion was the answer. So, again, Florida couple charged after planning wedding at a mansion. They did not receive permission for Let's move on to round number two, two redacted words, and three points available for you gentlemen. So, a Florida man uses blank to steal Waffle House blanks. <laughs> so, again, he obviously went into a Waffle House, tried to steal something, but he used something to intimidate those individuals to steal <laughs> these objects. So, a Florida man uses either a water gun, an airsoft gun, or finger guns to steal a Waffle House Ooh. blank. See, okay. I, uh, you just, know, it's, it, like, okay, imagine you're just working at a Waffle House and some dude walks in and, like, uses finger guns and is like, this is a robbery. Like, that's just so ridiculous, I can't even pick it. I don't think if, it's that. What I don't if think he hid that the finger guns? What if it was a situation oh, he, like, where he, like, got behind someone? Okay, you know yeah, yeah, what I mean? yeah. Like, like you know how table. when you rob stuff, you, like, push it in your, in your, mm -hmm. in your sweatshirt? Yes. You're like, okay, okay. Okay, that makes more sense. I'm, I understand now. It still well, is a little ridiculous, tough one because it's all a der derivative of some sort of gun weapon here. Yeah. Non-lethal, but still some sort of intimidating factor. I mean, a lot of people in Florida would... Did, did you say this is in Florida or do we not know? It is. Florida man. Okay. okay. 100%. This is Florida man. So, well, I just... I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> if it's in Florida, a lot of people have water guns. Yeah. And they might just I own was, one. I was also leaning water gun, actually. I'm going to go water gun. Okay. So, Derek on man. water gun. Okay. Nick. Derek's picking water gun. I mean, you don't have to not pick... No, I know. But I, I'm already down a point. It's yeah. strategic I'm gonna, early on. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna go with finger gun because why not? Mm. Okay. Well, and again, it just comes down to intimidation factor. But so yeah. we'll oh, say Florida right. man uses either blank an airsoft gun, water gun, or finger guns to steal Waffle House, either the waffle iron, just a plate of waffles, or simply napkins. Ooh. So he's trying to steal napkins, the yeah. waffle iron that makes those gorgeous Waffle House waffles, or just a plate of waffles themselves. The waffle iron makes the most sense because I could see somebody, like a criminal in this case, being like, 
man, Waffle House waffles are really good. I'm just gonna steal. Make the them at home. Waffle. Exactly. I'm just gonna steal the waffle iron, <laughs> even though even though that that like that's only one component of what makes them good, right? Mm-hmm. But he's gonna steal the waffle iron. So that that is an interesting answer. But also, I could see this being like, man, I don't know. What do you think, Derek? I don't think the napkins make sense because you can basically just go anywhere and like every time I go to Chipotle, well, okay. yeah. The thing is, I like, grab a you billion can just, napkins. Also, for my you car. can just ask for napkins. Like that's what like, I'm saying. You yeah, you can just be like, hey, can I have some napkins? And nobody's gonna be like, no. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like even if you don't even buy anything, they're just. They I hope it's not you... a crime because then I just confess to it <laughs> in, in taking a bunch of napkins. <laughs> I mean, it's like taking they, a towel they, from a hotel. They, they can't yeah. give away enough napkins. Uh, so I I don't think it would be waffles because I mean waffles at. At the Waffle House are, are cheap, man. You can get waffle for what a couple bucks. So you can get multiple waffles. Yeah. For a bucks, so right? I don't think it would be that. I'm, I'm gonna go with waffle iron. Derek All right. To go along iron. with, uh, I was just thinking about this because you mentioned like how they're cheap and stuff. Well, I picked finger guns, right? So if I picked mm-hmm. finger gun, the guy obviously doesn't have the money to afford a real weapon True. to threaten somebody. Mm-hmm. Threaten somebody. So I'm gonna go with the plate of waffles. Nick going even afford, He can't waffles. even afford it, so he's like, you know what? I'm going to improvise here. Finger gun underneath the sweatshirt. This had to be the dumbest one of the week, and you were both wrong in the second one. It was napkins oh that my he gosh. was attempting to steal from. But <laughs> Nick on. comes away with the game-tying point. It Let's was go. finger guns, and you're correct. He used his sweatshirt as a form of intimidation, <laughs> basically hiding uh, the, the shape or at least maybe the point of a, of a pistol underneath that. So Does it get any dumber than stealing napkins? It had to be no. the napkins. dumbest one of the week that I saw, what? certainly. So. Did it? Did it <laughs> did you open the story here? Like, what's what, what's going what, on? Why yeah, did he? Because okay, I was trying didn't to say if he was homeless. It didn't really necessarily. I was trying say of to. That context, but I was trying to like figure out why you would need to steal napkins in the first. It one. did like, also what, say what, that the it was also the napkin dispenser. But again, it was due to, to the, the whole thing. Due to the headline, it was uh, again only napkins that was used within the headline. But yes, he he okay. took the entire dispenser from a waffle. I house. just don't understand what would lead you to feel like you need to because <laughs> again. They they give you napkins. You can just ask for napkins. You can ask. I'm reading the story right now. Um, you found it. It was accompanied by a small dog. There's a nice little piece in that too. He, uh, I love this. Began shouting, "Get on the ground! Y'all are getting robbed!" I love that he's like explaining <laughs> to them what's happening. Uh, he then stated he was high and drunk before grabbing some oh, napkins God. and walking out. Out of boy. I mean, uh, okay. Uh, again, I guess I don't expect much less. Than okay, Florida. but serious serious question. I guess it is. It is. It's still a crime. But like. <laughs> He takes the napkins, but if he just How much walked in, yeah, exactly. If he just walked in and took the napkins, like does does the part? Where I he hope was, they didn't give him the part with a weapon listen, or something. Does the fact that he claimed it was a robbery, yes. make it a robbery? Yes, <laughs> it's the same way. Like you threaten someone, yeah, it's intimidation you know. or a threat or something. Of so if he just walked right. in and He's took the napkins, he's not going to go to jail for like life. So for if that. he just walked in and took the napkins, then he would have been fine. Yes. So <laughs> what makes it a crime is that he walked in, announced that he was stealing correct. the napkins, and then he took them. Yes, correct. <laughs> And then All he faked right. having a gun. All yeah. right, gentlemen. Well, a good point taken and tying the rounds now here for Nick there. But we'll get to now the third story of the day as a Florida man blanked with blank in a fight. So it's kind in of a, a short fight? headline. In a fight. Okay. So blank he was in a fight and he was blanked with a blank during that fight. So okay. he was either hit, stabbed, or knocked out. And again... I just want to put this out there. This gentleman is perfectly fine. He is okay now today. He made a full okay. recovery. No issues there. I read through this article, but again, he was either hit, knocked out, or stabbed with a blank during a fight. Yeah, I so, appreciate the legwork on mm-hmm. making sure that guy's, that guy's good. We're yeah, good to go. We're good to go. Before you even gave any of the answers, the first th- word that popped in my head was he was stabbed, so I'm just going to go with my gut. We're going stabbed. Going good. Okay, there. what's the way? It's stabbed, hit, or knocked out? Knocked mm-hmm. out with a blank during fight. 
Yeah, I so it, I don't think hit would qualify enough for it to be like a headline, right? Like, because if you just get hit in a fight, like that just happens. So yeah, I think it's got to be either stabbed right? or knocked you out. Could have got hit by something really weird. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm gonna go with knocked out. Knocked out it is for Nick. Okay, and then so a Florida man either hit, knocked out, or stabbed with a salmon, a swordfish, <laughs> See? or a crab fishing crate. So oh those large God. box. Okay, well, Nick, you you have to go with the swordfish, right? Uh. Because you said stab. I mean, I, <laughs> I guess, guess there's, 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 the I mean, there's metal on crab fishing crates. There's, uh, uh, I mean, I don't really know how you would stab someone with a salmon. No, I, I, I think Nick's right. <laughs> I, I think I have to go with the full story there. It has okay. to be a swordfish. So this is obviously. Maybe it was one of the ones that was like on the wall, you know, and they just took it <laughs> no, down. It's in Florida. No, a lot of okay. people have those. I'm envisioning they're like on a boat. Like these are two, mm. like these are two guys that are on a fishing boat. And like maybe one of them caught the swordfish, mm-hmm. and then they like so fought I think it's over a it. Dead swordfish. And then they fought over it, and then they, the guy was like, ah. <laughs> so I love that <laughs> sound. <of> that. <laughs> ah, that's all right. Are you going with swordfish? No, 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 no. I'm okay. not going with swordfish. I'm, I'm thinking about this because I said knocked out. I think he got. Listen, if you get knocked out by a salmon, it's a big you, salmon. that's. I mean, yeah, I don't you know. Could. Can you even catch salmon in Florida? Oh, is, was this I probably shouldn't have brought that up for you. But was, I, I did say I did say Florida man. Okay, was it Florida? With, I don't know. Maybe you can. I'm I'm not a professional. Okay, that is a natural water salmon, like not okay. just saltwater yeah. salmon and things like that. So I think well, really I don't be a dead I, salmon too. Again, you could have been at like yeah, a grocery store. Yeah, exactly. We don't know like, where yeah. this took place. This could have been somewhere else. Um, I think I'm. I think I have to go with the crab fishing crate one, because that would have feasibly knocked him out. Like again, like imagine it's like a fight on a boat and one guy like picks it up and just. <laughs> You know, chucks it at him, bang, right in the head, and he's out. So I'm going with I'm going with crab fishing crate. So uh, I'll tell you what, you again, Nick, you are in, you're perfect on in terms of kind of guessing the story in terms of what it was. <laughs> but a Florida man was stabbed with swordfish in it's good. Uh, so you got all three points there, Derek. Good job. Yeah. But it actually wasn't a fight with another individual. It was actually getting the swordfish wow. in a fishing debacle. Wait, so he was and getting so the, it onto the boat in the process so, of reeling in. He was stabbed by the swordfish. So he uh, was fighting the swordfish. He was. Yeah. So it was, there was man no versus other fish. Third there was party. nobody else involved. It was man. And, but again, uh, the headline: as nobody stayed, arrested. Florida man. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm trying to keep these out of here. However, <laughs> just wait until we get to the fourth question here. But uh, Derek. Coming away with a big three-pointer there and moving himself into the lead again man. here in week number eight. Florida man, Mad Libs. Let's get to the final question here again. Too. I got to go big here. Yeah, we got we got to find something out here, Nick, to maybe uh, relish in on another victory or at least keep the points within manageable territory. But the final one, again, I tried to stay away, but this one was 24 hours ago. So I'm trying to stay current, just trying to okay. stay whatever. But nice. Uh, nice. again, no injuries were heard, but this one's weird. A Florida man uses his ex-girlfriend's blank as a blank during a police standoff. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> and hang on with me here. So a Florida man, we'll get to the first redacted word. Florida man uses his ex-girlfriend's car, her one-year-old daughter, or a purse as a blank during a police standoff. Pretty weird. Okay. So, so I'll go here. first here because you're, okay. you're behind, so you, okay. you won't be able to do the same answers as me. Um Going with my headline knowledge, I don't think they'd put one-year-old purse. I think they'd just put purse, so I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. It's a, it's a one-year-old, one-year-old or purse. Oh, I thought or it was a one-year-old purse. purse. No, or purse. Oh, okay, or, I misheard so that. An ex-girlfriend's um, car, his oh, ex-girlfriend's purse, then. or his ex-girlfriend's one-year-old daughter. Oh, this is kind of messed blank. up. I'm going to do one-year-old daughter. I okay. hope not, but 
Yeah, I, I yeah. think I know where this is going. I'm also picking one. I, well, <clears throat> I know Derek picked it, but I, I really think it's right, so I'm also going to pick it. Well, and logically, again, points-wise, you kind of got to... You can still match me. Yeah. You, yeah. you get the second yeah. one right, and I yep. get it wrong. Yep. Um, so, yep. Florida man, and because you guessed all the same one, we'll just use it as the uh, first redacted word. Florida man uses his ex-girlfriend's one-year-old as a blank during a police standoff, either as a distraction, as a weapon, or as a shield during a police standoff. So, again, okay. I, this was 24 hours ago, boys. I tried this to give us three easy ones, and then this one is uh, is a little bit no, this, darker. No, this one is interesting. It's, it's a little dark. I mean... Shield makes the most sense in oh, why you would, like, have a hostage. It does. Yes, I mean, yes. it's, it's... I it's don't want it, it to doesn't be. Make yeah, it's, it's sad. It is, it is, yeah. is kind of messed up, but I... But, like, it's, it's it makes me want to pick weapon because these headlines are not usually what's normal, but I don't want to give you the gimme of shield, so I'm going <laughs> to take shield. All right. Since since I'm behind, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with distraction. Like imagine he's like locked in his room or whatever, and he's like, all right, listen, crawl out into the hallway mm. and make a distraction, and I'm gonna go out the window. Or out something. the window or bathroom. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm gonna go with distraction. Okay. Well, unfortunately, this one is about as morbid as you could think it would be. Uh, it was uh, Florida man uses ex girlfriend's one year old as a shield during mm. a police yeah. standoff. So you went with your gut. I thought that it, uh, I thought committed. that was what it was, but. Uh, I mean, I you, had to, to, you had to go for the win. I had to go for strategy there. Yeah, I had to so, go for strategy. Uh, but again, gentlemen, thank you so much for allowing me to uh, participate in these Wednesdays. It is Florida Man Mad Libs. Uh, I will tally it up. But today, Derek coming away with a win, tying it 4-4. Four and four, And with the aggregate points, I believe Derek now shooting back up into first place. I can't get over this guy getting stabbed <laughs> by the swordfish. It's, like, uh, it's so again, and it, it had nothing to do with a third party or police for the I first really time, want, right? Actually, I really wanted it to be like a third guy, like, grab the swordfish. And That's what like, I wanted. Take it's a like fish a bar fight. Like yeah, somebody's like hitting somebody with a bottle, and the other guy grabs the swordfish off the wall. And like, uh, all right. Well, RCST listeners, Derek, Nick, thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Hi, right, that's Sam. Sam Speck with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That was Florida Man Mad Libs. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.